What's beneath the surface of Paul's life that he shares and what's beneath the surface of the Corinthian church, the people in that church. Paul expresses concern over what is really going on in their hearts and minds of his spiritual children based on how they've been behaving. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have God already is good, done so. Amen. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen beautiful. to this message. Beautiful worship, beautiful time in His presence. Um, what a privilege we have. To be able to do this in a public space, there's no one waiting outside to arrest us for proclaiming our faith, for believing what we're believing, for singing about Jesus. There are many places around this world, especially right now, where people's lives are literally in danger because they love Jesus. May we never take it for granted. May we never be blasé about that. Amen? Awesome. Before I get into the message today, I just want to quickly remind everyone, especially those who are new, all of our messages, especially... Um, this last series and the one before that you can find on our podcast, the Love Key Church podcast. It's on all podcast platforms, so obviously Apple, Spotify, all those. You can just go search for it and, and go back and listen to, to series, uh, to specific messages if you want to do that. And I'd love to invite you, if you haven't yet, to, to go and subscribe to our YouTube channel because all our messages are also there and it's a great way for you to catch up if you've missed anything. Um, and then today and most Sundays, if I get around to it, um, the message notes is available on the Version Bible app. So if you have the Version Bible app, you can go to events, look for Love Key Church, and you'll see the message of the day there with notes. It won't be everything necessarily that I'm going to preach, but it's a good guide for you. And you can make your own personal notes and refer back to that at a later stage. All right. Let us pray as we read the word of God today. Father God, we humbly come before you today and we make ourselves available. We make ourselves, we we choose to have our hearts surrendered to that which you want to do. Father, your word is life. Your word is light. Jesus, you are the word. And we know that the word is seed that is being sown and we choose to make our hearts fertile soil this morning so that your word can take root and become part of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you are here for the first time, it's important that you know that we believe that the word of God, the Bible, is in fact the word of God. It's important that you know that We actually believe what it says and we choose to obey what it says. And we also choose to not compromise the word of God to suit our emotions or our feelings or our circumstances. But we rather say, okay, if the word says this and I'm feeling this or going through this, then I must align myself with the word, not the other way around. Amen? 
So if you are new, you, there's a good chance that something might offend you today. All right? Um, don't run away. I always tell people, lean in. Lean into something that makes you go, that's a little difficult. Because of the red flag to show you there's a part of you that hasn't died yet to Christ. So when that happens, just lean in and say, okay, Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, show me what must I learn from this and how can I change from this. Amen? All right. So today's message, uh, we're actually bringing two Corinthians to a close today. It's sad, a little sad, um, ending two Corinthians today. There's two more chapters left. The last chapter is quite short and ties into chapter 12. So we're going to cover chapter 12 and 13 today. And what I really felt God put on my heart as I was studying these passages is a question, a question that came up. And the question is that we have before us today, what's beneath the surface? What's beneath the surface? The sacred or the sinful? See, now it's a good time for you to get up and run if, this, if the question makes you uncomfortable. What's beneath the surface, the sacred or the sinful? So we're going to talk about that. Um, and I, I just love how God's timing works. Have any of you been sort of surprised or pleasantly surprised or even sort of shocked at God's timing in your life? Anyone? Where things just kind of line up in a, in a way that you go, that can only be him. All right. So I had, I had and, and I love it when he does it in the sort of daily mundane even things where you wouldn't expect to find it. And that's what happened to me this week. I've been studying these chapters for, for a while now, reading, asking God, show me, show me. Sometimes a piece of scripture, I don't know about you, but it, it's almost like it's a very hard nut to crack. As you read it, you study it, you're like, okay, I, I can see the words, I'm reading the words, I'm reading it out loud, I'm reading it in all the different translations, but they're still like, I'm, I'm waiting for that sort of, you know, thing to drop. Like, what's the revelation here? And um, am I alone in that? Anyone else experience that? All right, it happens, right? Um, which is good, because that's us really leaning into, hey, what is this saying? I, what does Holy Spirit lead me, show me what's going on here? Because um, it's much better to have that revelation from really spending time with God than the quick fix, you know, of a, just reading a small verse and kind of just going about your day. And... As I was studying this week, something happened at my house. Um, so, I don't know about you, but I think most of us have no idea what's beneath the surface of our homes, really. If you, if you had to, say, if, especially if you moved into a house that you didn't build yourself or were a part of the process, you don't know what's going on there, right? You don't know where the the pipes go, where the electricity, anyone ever drilled into a new home and drilled a water pipe? <laughs> Only to be, you don't know what's beneath the surface, right? All right. So in the same way, I, I wasn't really aware of everything going on beneath the surface of my house. So in this week, our, um, our domestic worker, Tabojo, comes, comes to me and she's got like this worried face and say, what's wrong? <laughs> she says, the drain. There's something wrong with the one drain. It's overflowing. I'm like, Ugh. Like, there's a lot of stuff around the house that I can handle, but a drain, it's nasty, all right? You do not get excited about handling that. So, so I go around the house, and I, and I look, and, um, 
and I, and I see that this drain is overflowing and it is, there's a, yeah, I don't want to get into much detail. You know, I was very transparent last week. Maybe the floodgates are open. So it was very stinky. All right. It was nasty. Now this thing is overflowed and I, and I think, okay, step one, get rid of the water so that you can see what's going on. So I try to clear the wastewater to see more clearly what's going on with the drain pipe and but the water level seemed to stay the same. But eventually I could get a lot of it out. And, um, and then I started plunging the pipe with the plunger, thinking this is going to clear it up and it's just going to move away. Then the stuff started rising. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is getting good, a bit hectic. And then after a while, I was just like, oh, you know, stuff this. I had my whole arm in there. And I was like, taking out stones, there was a a waiter's friend in there that got there somehow, a, a ruler, all kinds of stuff is coming out of this thing. And I thought, okay, now it must be better. So I, I'm plunging again, but I mean, stuff's coming up my arm. It's, it's bad. And I'm trying to clear the way. And the more I try, the more it seems to be, you know, get worse. And after a while, I get the level down and it starts not coming up all the way, but actually flowing. I'm like, yes, I've won. This is a victory for the singer guy who knows nothing about plumbing. And, and so I thought, cool. But then someone showered. <laughs> and then someone else showered. And then it was back <laughs> and overflowing. And I realized in that moment, I do not have the knowledge, the experience, or the tools to deal with this. I have tried. I have failed. This is outside of my strength area. All right. So the next day, <laughs> so the next day, I phoned a professional with the experience and the knowledge and the tools, and he came out. And where I looked at this problem and I was perplexed, he looked at it and he went, oh, okay. <laughs> kind of <laughs> knew exactly what to do. Why? Because he has experience and he knows what, so he brings out his first toy and he tries to make it work. It doesn't work. He's, and then I find out he phoned a friend with a machine. So they had to upgrade. So this problem beneath the surface was bigger than I realized. And then he, he came with this machine and I just hear this thing, this compressor starting in the streets and then the... And it's, then what he finally, long, long story short, he figured out that just a few feet away from what I thought was the problem, was the actual problem, coming out one of the toilets, that pipe was blocked all the way from there to that outlet, that whole area, and he had to clear that whole thing up. And then finally when they had done all that, it was working. And then when people showered in the house, I, was, I went <laughs> to look, and it was, it was working. So thank God for that. So it started, oh, this whole story started out with me being unaware of what was going on beneath the surface of my house. Then there were signs that something was wrong beneath the surface. We knew something was wrong because water came out of somewhere. So there was a symptom. The symptom tells you something's wrong, but you don't know exactly what's wrong necessarily. I tried to solve the problem in my own strength. Even though I had temporary seeming success, I had not dealt with the source of the problem, only symptom. 
Once the symptom came back, I realized I needed more help to get to the root of the problem. So I called the professionals. They knew what to do. Now, what was beneath the surface of the man who helped me? Some would, if he was just walking in the street, they would just go, well, there goes a man. But what's beneath the surface of this guy is years of experience, knowledge, and the training to use the right equipment for the right job. And he knew what to do just by looking at the situation, and he was able to sort it out. So, I just find it fascinating that this happened in this week when I was preparing for this sermon where God wanted to talk to me about what's beneath the surface. So I thought I'd share that with you. Now that all of you are hungry and can't wait to eat something, and all of you who shook my hand earlier are going, what have I done? <laughs> um, let us get into the word. So our reading today is going to come from 2 Corinthians 12, and I want you to notice and observe two main things. What's beneath the surface of Paul's life that he shares, and what's beneath the surface of the Corinthian church, the people in that church? Paul expresses concern over what is really going on in their hearts and minds of his spiritual children based on how they've been behaving. So what we'll see in both instances is that people observed certain symptoms, what they thought were symptoms in Paul's life, and they made assumptions, and they went into a false narrative of who Paul is. They missed what was beneath the surface. Paul sees symptoms in the church, in their behavior, and he has certain concerns based on what he is seeing and hearing and have observed, and he wants to almost lift the lid and see what's underneath the surface, and you'll see in the scripture, he talks about when he comes again to visit them, what will he find when he looks beneath the surface? The sacred or the sinful? All right. So let's get reading. Before, oh, before we do that, I want to quickly recap last week because the, the chapter 11 flows into this chapter because what you have to realize is the whole of 2 Corinthians is basically one big defense of Paul, defending his ministry, defending his apostleship, defending his role in the Corinthian church. All right, so last week we studied 2 Corinthians 11 and the, the title was Undivided Devotion. We were all reminded how important it is to make sure that we are fully devoted to the real, the true Jesus, the true Holy Spirit and the true gospel because divided devotion is actually no devotion at all. And if we do not have our discernment radars on or are willing to stand up for the truth of Jesus, the Spirit, and the gospel, it's easy for false prophets to come in and lead us astray by sowing doubt about the source of the truth, who can be God himself or a leader called to minister the truth to us. And if we do that, we sow doubt on the very truth that they have shared with us. Now, Paul addressed all of this because he's defending his role as an apostle, and he continues his defense now in this chapter. All right. Now, before we get into that chapter, 
a bit more of an intro again. This is all just to help you, just all just to set it up. So Paul reveals two things about himself in an effort to defend his authority and role as an apostle. He reveals that beneath the surface is a man who's had amazing radical encounters with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, and with angels. He reveals the sacred beneath the surface. He also gets transparent with the church about his main weakness and how God allows this weakness to be in his life because it serves a greater purpose. So he reveals two big things beneath the surface. And then, as I just said, he expresses concern over what's going on in the Corinthian church. So, the reason I'm setting it up this big way is because we're going to do a lot of reading together today. All right, we are studying the Bible. Who's excited about studying the Bible? All right. This is not just a dustiki of one verse and you go. We are studying the Word of God. Amen? Now, we can park on this and the next chapter probably for three, four sermons, but I'm going to highlight these things today as we go through this. And I want you to see, I want you to take a moment and just try to put yourself in Paul's situation, in his feet. He is a loving spiritual father who planted a church by leading Gentiles who knew nothing about God, who knew nothing about Jesus. He led them to be born again. Now this church has grown and it's thriving, but there are issues. Imagine that, a new church with issues. And he's dealing now with these things that are happening. All right, so he ended off in chapter 11 defending himself. And we're gonna keep reading now. 2 Corinthians 12 from verse one, we're gonna read from the NIV today. I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Why is he saying that? He's, he's saying that in a, in a way, he's gonna mention it later as well. Because of what you are doubting, because of what's happening, because of you've, you've been lending your ears to others, I need to now talk about myself. I don't wanna talk about myself. I don't wanna tell you who I am, what I've experienced and what I've gone through, but apparently you need to be reminded and apparently you need to understand the authority that I have. So now you've kind of forced me into this position of having to explain myself. That's what he's saying. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on, I will now explain to you visions and revelations from the Lord. Now, he's about to speak in a, in a weird way for us, but this is a typical way that a rabbi would tell a story. A rabbi would speak of himself in the third person as to uh, remove himself to not get glory from stories. So he would say, that's why he starts the next sentence. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. All right, so Paul is speaking to them about the fact that he has had a radical, life-changing encounter with God. He was taking up into the third heaven. Some of you will remember a couple of months ago, we spoke about the first, second, and third heaven and what that is. This is how we know there's a third heaven is because Paul mentions it, amen? So now, 
There is one theory out there that what he's referring to is 14 years before this, there was an incident where he was at the church in Lystra and he was preaching to the Jews. They didn't like what he was preaching. They dragged him out and they stoned him and left him for dead. The other apostles came around him. They prayed for him. He got up. He was better. And he said, let's go back. Now, There is an argument to be made that possibly as he was having a near-death experience by being stoned, that that could have been the moment where he was taken up into the third heaven and had this experience. We don't know, but that's what many scholars believe can be a possibility. They also think that what we're about to read about his thorn in the side traces back to that event because if he was thrown by certain stones it could have affected him physically and I'll get into that just now so we see that he is now um, he doesn't want to share this because he doesn't want it to be about him but he's sharing what he has experienced showing that hey God has a specific plan with me he has shown me these things for a reason What I've seen, I can't share with you. That's why I haven't spoken about it. But I need you to know that this is how close I am to God and what he has shown me. And this is all in an effort to show to them he is a true apostle. And these other apostles, which you call sarcastically super apostles, they are the guys, they are the wolves in sheep's clothing. All right. So we go on. Then he says, even if I should choose to boast... I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from boasting so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, listen to this, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given, everybody say given, a thorn in my flesh. Now, the original Greek word thorn is actually more accurately translated as a steak, not S-T-E-A-K that you eat, S-T-A-K-E, the big, big thing that you would use to, to stake a, uh, the side of a tent. Remember, he was a tent maker, so he would know what a steak is like. So he's saying that this massive tent pen steak thing is in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We need to stand still for a moment. How counterculture is that? In the times that we live in, everyone wants to look like they've got it all together. Everyone wants to look like they're strong, they're perfect, they know exactly what to do. They've got enough money, they've got enough power, they know they stand in some kind of authority, they've got some kind of influence. Everybody wants to just make you see that, listen, this is my Instagram life and my Instagram life is actually my real life. Look how well I'm doing. What is the Christ life? I celebrate my weaknesses. Because in my weaknesses, Christ's glory can shine. Amen? 
So now we've seen Paul says to them, I'm gonna give you a peek about what is beneath the surface. You see an apostle that came and you, you say that I am you know, weak and frail and not a great speaker when I'm with you. These other apostles have questioned my credibility because they say they've got these letters of commendation from Jerusalem and now you believe them because some people gave them a letter. Now he's saying, okay, if, if you think that's impressive and important, I wanna tell you that I've had this revelation experience where I was taken up into the third heaven. God showed me things that I can't even share with you. That is my recommendation letter from God himself, all right? So Paul is revealing to them that beneath the surface of what they may see and perceive is so much more. The reason I've used a picture of an iceberg in my title is because when you see an iceberg on top of the water, you see a very small percentage of what's really going on. Amen? And that can be positive or negative. Some people, when you see the tip of the iceberg, you think, wow, nice person, warm, loving, helpful. Then you discover the rest beneath the surface. <laughs> Not so much. And that's the question today. Some people you meet and they're not impressive. You think, they don't think much of them. Maybe they're like Paul, you know? He's impressive in his letters, but kind of a wuss in real life. And you make assumptions because of how you perceive that person. But now Paul is saying, you've seen the tip of the iceberg, that is me. Let me show you what's beneath the surface. So much more. So much more of the sacred so much more of my time with Jesus. But as I reveal this beautiful, amazing experience, I want you to know that there's no way that I can ever become conceited about these special things that God has done in my life. By the way, which I don't wanna brag about because it's not about me, but it has happened. That's not the point. But in order to make sure that I never get arrogant, never get prideful about, look what God has shown me. Look what God has done in my life. I am super spiritual. Jesus and me, woohoo! I will tell you a thing or two. No, God has said to me, no, God has said this, no, no, no. To, to use that in a way to manipulate or to impress people, it doesn't come from a healthy spiritual place. So he's saying in order for me to never get arrogant about the fact that I went into the third heaven and saw things that I can't even express, God gave me a thing to torment me. What? But God only gives good things, yeah? It's a messenger from Satan. So what, did God give it to him or did God allow it? God allowed it. Why? So that I won't get conceited. And I went to Jesus three times. Paul, the apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament, who said that we can move in signs and wonders, who when he prayed, when he rocked up in a place, people got healed. People stood up that couldn't walk. Eyes were opened, ears were opened. He prayed to God, please take this torment from me. And God said, no. Can you imagine what that must feel like? But Lord, look what I do for you. God, you just take this away. 
Imagine him going, but Lord, you've taken me up into the third heaven. Look at my CV. Look at all these things. In the previous chapter, he listed all the sufferings and the sacrifices. Remember that from last week? All the things that he went through. He can say, Lord, look at all these things. Haven't I suffered enough? Wouldn't we do that? I heard something in line with this that can help us in our prayer life. If my request to God is wrong, he will say no. If the timing isn't right, he will say slow. If I'm not right, he will say grow. If the request is right and the timing is right and I am right, God will say go. What is the essence of that? His will before my will. His timing before my timing. In John 15, Jesus says to the disciples, abide in me as my words abide in you. And then he goes on to say, whatever you ask in the Father's name, to the Father in my name, he will give you. What a promise. But the first part is super important. Abide in me as my words, I am the word, abide in you. In other words, when you then pray, as you abide in me and I abide in you, you will pray my will, and then my Father will give whatever you ask. This is what Paul is saying. I prayed that this will change, but it was not the Father's will that it changes. I asked him three times. How many of you have made many petitions about the same thing to God over and over and over again? Lord, please change this. How many of you, I love this word, breakthrough. He's the God of the breakthrough. I want the breakthrough, Lord. Give me that breakthrough. Please, Jesus. And God is saying, my son, my daughter, I have such a beautiful, perfect plan with that thing that you think is so bad. I actually have such a powerful plan. And this is what Paul realizes. He knows what it is. He knows what has happened. And, and this is now, scholars have different theories again about what this thorn in his side is, what this stake in his side is. One of the theories that makes most sense is that once again, <clears throat> at that same instance in Lystra where he was stoned, people, based on a scripture, I think it's in Galatians, where he mentions to them that you cared so much for me that you would even give me your own eyes so that I can see better or that I can be healed. That's how much you love me. So based on that and based on what happened at Lystra, they think that the thorn in his side was that he had problems with his eyesight based on maybe a stone hitting his head or hitting his eye. One of the theories is that he had a, a constant running of the eye which made him struggle to, to read and to see well. Because at the end of his letter, I think it's also Galatians, he says, look how I'm writing in my own hand with big letters. That's the only way he could see. So there's, there's a theory, no one knows for sure, that that was his torment, that he, he didn't get physical healing from that. Once again, we don't know, but it, it makes sense. So the important thing is to not abuse that scripture and say that, you know, I've got some sin that just doesn't get out of my life. This is my thorn. So I'm just going to live with the sin. I'm just going to accept this sin. It's just going to be who I am. That's an important thing to not do with that scripture. Amen. Don't abuse the word of God. Do what you want to do. 
use the Word of God, stand on the Word of God to be set free. There's nowhere where he says that it's a sin that was tormenting him. Amen? I'm saying this because I used to do that. I used to use the Scripture as an excuse. Got really quiet there. Some of you did the same thing, have done the same thing. But listen to this. God said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. When we struggle with something, we feel weak. When we are helpless, we feel weak. He says, therefore, Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. How many of us have really have this attitude? I'm so glad I can't do math. Yes, I'm excited. I suck at math. It's not my strength. Woohoo! God can really shine when I get to some right. <laughs> I'm kidding, but that's kind of what this is about. So Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What other scripture does this sound like? Who can tell me? James 1. It says, um, in James 1, it says that we should, ah, now I'm blanking on the scripture myself. Call it all joy. Count it all joy. He says, brothers, count it all joy when trials of various kinds come your way. Count it all joy. Romans 5 verse 3 says, glory and tribulation. Get excited. Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble, but do not lose heart, for in me you will have peace. So what Paul is saying is that these things are a part of life, and I have a choice. I can either complain the whole time about it to God and to other people, or I can embrace the weaknesses. I can embrace the insults, the persecutions, the tough stuff, and I can say, glory be to God that I am going through this. Because then you don't focus on the issue, you focus on Jesus. And Jesus uses those things in your life to glorify himself. And other people see you and go, how do you do this? How do you just go through this and have joy and peace in your life? How is that even possible? And you say, oh, it's pretty supernatural, right? It's only possible through Christ Jesus. It's only possible because I have a mind set on him. It's only possible because I do not align my thinking to the thinking of the world. And the world wants to tell us, just be happy. Life is about happiness. And happiness in the Western world, what is our God? Our God is comfort. Our God is convenience. And what is linked to that? Mammon. If we can serve mammon successfully, have enough money, feel comfortable, and, and everything is convenient, then we will go, I'm successful. I'm doing well. But ask someone who's going through a really tough time, who's really a believer, and you know they're going through a tough time. You look at them in the eye and say, how are you doing, brother? And they go, I'm glorious because God is with me. Right now, this is tough. I'm going through some tough stuff. But Jesus is with me, and he's right in this weakness. He's right in this circumstance right now. Amen? Come on. Amen. <laughs> now, we're going to continue from verse 11. I've made a fool of myself, but you've drove me to it. He's speaking about the fact that he's bragging. He's boasting. I've made a fool of myself now, but you've, you've forced me to do it. I ought to have been commended by you. He says, you should have spoken about this, about me, to those other false prophets. I shouldn't have to defend myself because you know who I am. For I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. 
I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Now he's talking about the fact that he's done those in their midst. How were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. He's saying that, um, I'm sorry that I wasn't a burden to you. (laughs) Once again, a little bit sarcastic there. Now I'm ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. Wow. What I want is not your possessions. I want you. How beautiful is that? He loves them so much. It's like it's all about you, your heart, you as a person. It's not about what you can give me. And remember, he was talking about the, the whole question of money and, 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 and being able to, to take care of himself. He says, after all, children should not have to save up for their parents. Listen to that. Children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. He's seeing himself as a spiritual dad. He says, you don't have to pay me. I, I need to bless you. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. This is such a powerful verse when it comes to ministry. I will, um, I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. I will give you all that I am and it is all for your benefit. That is what ministry is all about. That's what the Christian life is all about. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you yet. Crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you and I sent you another brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I'm afraid that when I come, listen to this, this is now him talking about what's gonna happen when I lift the surface and look beneath when I come to you. For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. He wants the best for them. I may not find you the way that I want you to be and you may not find me as you want me to be. What do they want? They said earlier, he does, they don't want him to be strong like in his letters. They want him to be the weak, the nice, pastoral Paul. You may not find me the way that you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. He's afraid that this is what he will find. This same list and very similar to that we find in 1 Corinthians 6. We find it in Galatians 5 verse 21. All the things that are against God's will. These are the things that he writes to the Colossians in Colossians 3. Similar list. Put off these things and put on the tender mercies of Christ. And he says further, I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, the sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. This is how we, how we end off that chapter 12. He has now said, you may have seen symptoms and made assumptions 
about what's happening beneath the surface in my life, but I'm also seeing symptoms. The way that you've reacted by listening to false false apostles, the way that you've spoken about me and to me shows me that beneath the surface with you, they may be the sinful and not the sacred. Amen? He doesn't say it is there. He just says, I hope that I don't find this when I get there. How many of you parents have said to your children, you're not allowed to do something. If I come back and find you doing that, <laughs> there will be consequences. Anyone? <laughs> How many of you know that as he cut weg is he mice boss? So that's kind of the, 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 the idea that I'm getting there. He's, he's kind of giving them a heads up, right? So that I'm coming and I better not find this so sorted out. Can you see that? I'm seeing that as a father, as a spiritual dad. Then, we, then he continues. This now We break it up into chapter 12 and 13, but this actually flows right into chapter 13. So he said, I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, debauchery, in which they may have indulged. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you. That's Jesus he's talking about. Jesus is not weak in dealing with you but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we, Paul and his team, are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. (laughs) Can you see the slightly veiled threat of him saying, okay, you're challenging my authority. You're challenging who I am in Christ. Don't make that mistake because I will come and I will come with the full authority of Christ Jesus and deal with the sin in your midst. Why? Because that's how much he loves them. You know, guys, we live in a world and we have in this Western church almost have an attitude of, you know, certain sins are okay, others are worse, and some are not acceptable. But some of the things that should be called sin in the first place almost have become just run-of-the-mill, normal living conditions because of the way that it's been watered down. So we will even talk about big sins and small sins. But there are things on the same list. Did you see gossip on that list? Sexual debauchery and gossip, same list. Same sin, same penalty. Amen? We need to be very aware of this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you failed the test or failed the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. 
Not so that people will see that we have stood, stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Can you see the heart of a true pastor here? How powerful is that? As we read this letter from Paul and as he brings it to a close, there's one more bit, but I'm gonna leave that at the end as a benediction for our service. So as we come to the end of this chapter, these, this letter and these chapters, we need to all take a moment and say, okay, what is beneath the surface of my life. What will happen, I want you to imagine that you're like a pot with a lid. And it's not one of those glass lids, solid, can't see. The content is not visible of your character. The content of your real you, your real life is not visible. But what is really going on beneath the surface of you? If Jesus were to come and lift the lid of your life, what will he find? The sacred or the sinful? Am I trying to say that we should all be perfect all the time? No. What I am trying to get to, and this is what Paul is trying to get to with the Corinthians, is he saying that you have made a commitment to Christ? What should follow is a lifestyle of, of becoming whole, becoming new, of sanctification to the place of being sanctified and sacred before God. You see, when we read the scriptures, the same list of sins he lists in 1 Corinthians 6. And he says, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In a similar language in Galatians 5, when he lists sins, just before we get the fruit of the Spirit in contrast with that, he says, who practice these things. What does that mean? And he says, he says at the end of chapter 12, I'm worried that I'm going to find that you have committed sin but you are not convicted by it, so you haven't actually repented from that sin. So that's still hanging over your life. It's still hanging over you. And why? He is not judging them from a high place, going like, you fools. He's going, oh, you should know better by now. I have told you this. You have seen the truth. You know what it's like when you have repented and you're standing in the newness of life in Christ. Why would you throw that away? Why would you allow sin to linger in your lives? And then he poses the question in 13, where he says, unless you've never really believed the right way, which is a big if. And that's why Paul in another letter, he says to another church, work out your faith, your, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a serious matter. Ultimately, the question, what's beneath the surface, is actually the question, who are you? 
Really? When no one is watching, when no one sees what's going on, what are you allowing in your life? What are you looking at? What are you listening to? What are you scrolling through? Are we really living the life that Jesus died for? Because everything that we choose to open a door to, we have a choice. We have a choice. And those doors can only be one of two things. You can fool yourself into something else, but there's only two options. It's either going to be the sacred or it's going to be the sinful. The same way, there's only people who love God and live for him and all the others. Like I've said many times, there's two kinds of people. The ones who say, Lord, let your will be done, and they actually do his will. And the others who say, who Lord, the Lord says, okay, let your will be done. And then there's consequences for that. We are not saying today that we just have to give our lives to Christ and be completely perfect from that moment on. Because I know that's not realistic. But I hope you can see that there's a difference between a child of God who has really given their lives to Jesus, who loves him so much that they are in a constant um, space in their mind and in their heart. Like if I step out of line, oh, I hate that I did that and repent immediately because I know that's not who I am. And I know that Jesus died so that I don't have to live with that sin. I know that his grace is not there so I can do what I want. His grace is there so that I can have power to not sin. That's what his grace is for. And now I can come to him, I can boldly approach the throne of grace and say, my father, I've sinned. I'm sorry, I repent. In Psalm 51, David, King David writes his repentance to God after committing adultery with Bathsheba and committing murder with her husband. And he says there to God, he says, you do not want burnt offerings. The offering that you want, the offering that's pleasing to you is a broken and contrite heart. And that is a heart that realizes I'm nothing without Jesus. And if I have sinned, I'm quick to repent, to run to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. I renounce that thing, I fall out of agreement with it, I wanna come back and run with you, Jesus, and go forward. If I have unforgiveness towards anyone, I run to Jesus and say, forgive me for having unforgiveness. I forgive that person, wash me clean, make me new. To have that constant thing of I want to mature in Christ all the time. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. 
May God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.